The great hall of the bishop's palace was drafty and poorly heated, but it was fear, not cold, that caused his body to tremble. Bishops in their full regalia were seated at the end of the hall and were perfectly silent, listening to the angry words of a woman dressed in the modest clothes of a nun. Yet her hair was nicely done and she wore makeup like a noblewoman. Then she paused and pointed an accusing finger right at him. Someone behind him gently but firmly ordered him to step forward. He stood before the bishops, hoping his clothes hid his shaking body. Perhaps they did, because he, too, was wearing the robes of a nun. Welcome to Pre-Stonewall. Down beneath the deep blue sea, where one day I chanced to be, the mermaids gave a very swell affair. I looked out from my submarine at the queerest ball I'd ever seen. Not a soul on earth I knew was there. Of course they did the tango and no one made a slip. Of all the guests assembled there, each one could do the dip at the mermaid's fancy ball in Father Neptune's hall. The little eels were pickled and they did a naughty wiggle. Although it shocked a few old crabs, it made the bluefish giggle at the mermaid's fancy ball. In the year 589, a small but determined army of nuns in the city of Portier, helped by a gang of local ruffians, stormed into a church to kidnap their abbess, Lubovira. The men were comprised, at least according to our only source, of murderers, sorcerers, adulterers, runaway slaves, and men guilty of all other crimes. It almost certainly wasn't a coincidence that the revolt of the nuns was scheduled to happen on Palm Sunday, the Catholic Church's commemoration of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, which takes place the Sunday before Easter. At night, the men stormed into a shrine where the abbess and some other nuns were hiding. Apparently, one man in his rage nearly ran the abbess through with a sword, but he was stabbed to death by one of his own companions, just because he thought he went too far, apparently. In the chaos and the darkness, the men grabbed the prioress, Justina. At some point, they realized they took the wrong nun. Perhaps Justina had tried the classic action movie ploy of, No, it's me you want! If so, the gambit eventually failed. And the gang went back to the shrine, where their real target, Lubavera, was still cowering. Locked up in a nearby house, Lubavera was threatened with death if she tried to escape. The mastermind behind all this was Clotilde, a princess who had been forced into the holy life. She was a daughter of the Merovingians, the family that came to rule over the old Roman province of Gaul, which roughly covers today's France, Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and parts of western Germany and Switzerland. Gaul had been split between different brothers of the Merovingian family. Clotilde was the daughter of King Cheribert I and one of his concubines, whose name has been lost. She was backed by her cousin Bessina, also a princess and 
also forced to become a nun. The allegations against Lubavera ran the gamut from not giving the nuns under her charge enough food to secretly having lovers on the side. To be fair, the two princesses had not jumped to violence at first. In their first attempt, they had gone to the court of their uncle, King Guntram, to plead with him to intervene. Our own source for all of this, Bishop Gregory of Tours, had tried to dissuade Clotilde, reminding her that she could be excommunicated even for just leaving her monastery for so long. But at least according to him, she declared, I am going to my royal relations to tell them about the insults which we have to suffer, for we are humiliated here as if we were the offspring of low-born serving women instead of being the daughters of kings. Unfortunately, King Guntram seemed to agree with Gregory that the princesses had no business questioning the authority of their abbess. He put them off with promises to send representatives to investigate the goings-on at the abbey, but they never arrived. So Clotilde and Bessina took matters into their own hands with their army of criminals and sorcerers. Wait, what does any of this have to do with queer history? Well, we'll get there. For some reason, Bessina reconciled with Lubavera and helped her escape. Then King Guntram, accompanied by bishops from around Gaul, marched at the head of a small army into Portiers, which happened to be part of his territory at the time. The revolt was violently put down, but Gregory of Tours claims that Clotilde, holding an ornate cross, walked through the violence and confronted her uncle Guntram face to face, declaring, I warn you, do not lay a finger on me. I am a queen, the daughter of one king and the niece of another. If you touch me, you can be quite sure that the day will come when I shall have my revenge. Once the last member of Clotilde and Bessina's gang fled or was slain, the two princesses were brought before the bishops for trial. The bishop sought to decide what, if any, punishment the princesses should receive for the revolt, but also to investigate if there were any truth behind allegations. One of these bishops was the very writer of our only source, Gregory. He had come from an upper-class, well-connected Gallo-Roman family. His own niece was Justina, the unfortunate prioress who wound up abducted during the revolt. Certainly, Gregory's own words make his lack of sympathy for Clotilde apparent. The two women were excommunicated, although, of course, given their political connections, this was soon reversed, and Lubavera was found innocent of all accusations of impropriety and abusive behavior toward the nuns in her care. Anyway, it's in the trial records left to us by Gregory that we meet a certain individual whose name has not been recorded, and whose existence would have faded from history if not for this trial in Gregory of Tours' account. One of Clotilde's accusations against Lubavera was that she kept around a man dressed as a nun to be her lover behind closed doors. I'm going to read the excerpt from Gregory of Tours' own History of the Franks. This comes from the translation by Louis Forp for Penguin Books, which is probably the translation you'd find if you're in an English-speaking country and went to a bookstore or a library. However, it's been altered by G.R.W. Hassel for reasons that will soon become clear. There he is, cried Clotilde, pointing with her finger. 
whereupon he stepped forward, in front of everyone, dressed in women's clothing, as we have said. He said that he was unable to perform the manly act, and that that was the reason he dressed himself up in this way. He maintained that he had never set eyes upon the abbess, although, of course, he knew her by name. He had never spoken to her in his life, and, in any case, he lived more than forty miles out of Poitiers. Clotilde failed to prove her abbess guilty on this count. That's, yeah, that's the entire story. It's so slim that I almost didn't do an episode on it, but the circumstances around it is a story in of itself. Also, I like it when we can find in the chronicles and records and stories glimpses of the queer people who weren't kings or great artists and writers or were historically quote-unquote significant in any way. And here we have someone who is known to be anatomically male and who may have still identified as a man, but nonetheless was allowed to dress up like a nun. He may have also possibly lived among nuns, although Gregory does not make that explicit. In fact, he dressed like a nun before the bishops and was apparently not condemned for doing so. Nowhere in Gregory's brief passages he judged harshly. Gregory just presents the existence of this cross-dressing nun matter-of-factly. It's possible he was a eunuch, but eunuchs were not around at the royal courts of Dark Ages Gaul. They did exist at the Byzantine imperial court in Constantinople, so it's plausible one might have ended up in Gaul and chose to dress a nun's clothing as a way to reflect his status. However, in the very next passage, Clotilde makes a separate accusation that Lubovera had eunuch servants. So from this, it's safe to conclude that the male nun was not, in fact, a eunuch. The whole mystery hinges on what Gregory meant by the words unable to perform the manly act, or to put it in the original Latin, se nihil opus posse virile agere. Louis Thorpe translated it as meaning that he was impotent. This is a possibility, but G.R.W. Hassel disagrees, giving us that more literal translation instead. Maybe it actually means that he was, in modern terms, gay. This was a time when male sodomy was far from tolerated, but laws were actually not common outside the Byzantine Empire and the Visigothic Kingdom of Portugal and Spain. Or, possibly again, using our modern terms, he was gender nonconforming. Given that this was early medieval Merovingian society, where we know many men were buried with their weapons, maybe he simply hated the thought of battle or just the types of labor usually assigned to men. So he was forced to, or willingly chose to become a nun. This is perhaps the most intriguing possibility, since it does resemble how a lot of third and fourth genders and intermediate genders operated in cultures around the world. Also, I think it is the most likely. But it's frustrating because it still leaves a major question. Why didn't he just become a monk? Something that would have also spared him a lifetime of fighting and other manly work. Well, I know it's a bummer to end this with we don't know, but 
We don't know. We don't know whether he simply dressed as a nun, or if he also thought of himself as a she. We don't even know if he simply dressed that way, or if the church did recognize him as a nun. All I can say is Gregory of Tours wrote about him to readers of his own time, and he did not seem to expect his readers would find the existence of this male nun all that perplexing or shocking. This leads to, I think, the most enticing and most frustrating question. Were there others like this? Enough that Gregory of Tours would have expected his educated readers to have some kind of understanding of them. We just don't know. <laughs>